There are several things that make a church exciting. One is when you see God working. And we've heard about him and seen him working this morning already. And that makes church exciting. Something else is when God works through us as his people. And we love one another and come together and, and have affection for one another and serve together. And that makes church exciting as well. And I think those things are evident in this church. And personally, I think it's exciting to be a part of it. I hope that you agree with me. You will take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at verses 19 through 22 in a few moments, but I want to give you a little bit of background before we get to that point, and some of that background will come from the verses that precede verse 19. If you were around my age, you probably remember very well the civil rights movement in this country, and you remember what took place then, you remember the segregation, you remember the discrimination, you remember the hostility that was between certain individuals in, in both races that were involved in that. Thankfully, we put a great deal of that behind us, though there's still progress to be made. But all that we went through back then was nothing compared to the separation between Jew and Gentile. Or you see, the Jews knew that they were God's chosen people, but they understood it in the wrong way. They thought that that made them better than everybody else. They thought that they were superior to everyone else. They didn't want anything to do with the Gentiles. They felt that even if they went into a Gentile house, that made them unclean in the eyes of God. And so they didn't want anything to do with the Gentiles. In fact, in the temple in Jerusalem, there was an outer court where the Gentiles could come and, and worship God if they wanted to, but it was separated with a wall, it wasn't a big wall, three or four feet high, that uh, the Gentiles couldn't pass. Uh, only the Jews could go into the, the inner part and draw close to God. They, the, the, the Gentiles were kept far away. Only the Jews thought they could draw near. And to make sure that the Gentiles understood that, there were gates in that wall, and on the gates were signs that said, in effect, if you're a Gentile and you pass this point, it will result in your own death for which you will be responsible. So a, a separation from their side, and then the Gentiles looked at the Jews and they thought, good gracious, here, here there's a bunch of nobodies, and they think they're better than everybody else, and so they didn't have any use for the Jews. Now, when Christ came, and <clears throat> when the church was born, and when people among the Jews and people among the Gentiles both started accepting Christ, then you had some difficulty. For some churches had only Jews in them. Some churches had only Gentiles in them. Some churches had Jew and Gentile both in them. So there, there had to be an effort. There, there had to be the working of the Holy Spirit. There had to be something spoken through God's apostles and prophets to help them come together as one. And that's part of what Paul is doing here in the book of Ephesians. He's addressing the Ephesian church. It's primarily a Gentile church. And he has some things to say to them that help us to understand what the church is supposed to be about in every age, what the church is supposed to be about in our age, what the church is supposed to be about here in this place. So let's see what he had to say. First of all, 
My clicker isn't working this morning. So that maybe one turned on. There we go. All right. Technology is supposed to speed you up. Sometimes it slows you down. If you look at verse 12, Paul reminded the Ephesians that one time they were without Christ. And he said that meant several things. He said that they were separate from Christ. They didn't have Jesus as Savior. They were still in their sins, still carrying their guilt. They didn't have Jesus as Lord. They didn't know that He was the one that could give guidance to them in every part of their lives. They didn't know that He was the meaning for the whole universe. And so they lived their lives meaninglessly. They didn't know that Jesus was the Good Shepherd. And so they didn't have someone to walk with them through all of the ups and downs of life, through the high places and through the valleys. They were separate from Christ. Also, they were excluded from citizenship in God's kingdom. Now, if you lived in Paul's time and you were a Roman citizen, then you had great advantage. Some people were born as citizens and to the, as Romans. Some were able to buy their citizenship. Most of the people didn't have it. And so they were excluded from all of the benefits of being a Roman citizen. Paul reminded the Ephesians that they were excluded from citizenship in God's kingdom. And that's the kingdom that's going to last forever. That's the most important one, the one to have the priority. But they were excluded from it. They were foreigners to the covenants of promise. The, the promises had been made to the Jewish people that eventually were going to spread to all of the world. Now, it was like promises to Abraham when God came to Abraham and said, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make you a blessing, and you're going, in you, all of the people of the world is going to be blessed. It's like the covenant that the children of Israel made with God at Sinai. And God said, I'll be your God, and you can be my people. They were excluded from that. They were excluded from the promises made to David that one of his descendants would sit on the throne forever. So they were excluded from that. They didn't get to participate in all of those great promises of God. They were without hope. They lived in this life, and that was it. They didn't have any hope of eternal life. When they were dead, they were dead, and nothing more was there. And then they were without God in the world. They didn't have God there to watch over them and protect them and guide them. They were having to go it alone. He reminded them of how it was before Christ came. And then he began to remind them of what it was once Christ came and the blessings that came to them. What Christ did for them is that he brought them near through his blood. Look at the last part of verse 13. He says, But now in Christ Jesus you who once were far away have been brought near in the blood of Christ. Even in Jerusalem at the temple, they had to be far away. They couldn't come close to the temple proper. But in Christ, they could come near. They could come near to God. Jesus makes it possible through His sacrifice on the cross for us to come near to God Himself. Jesus was always in the process of bringing those who were far away near. He did that with the woman at the well. Despite her sinful lifestyle, He brought her near. He did that with Zacchaeus, 
the little short fellow who hid up in the tree, he brought him far away with his quest for money to being near to the Savior himself. Even Paul, who was far away from God in his attitudes and actions and his persecution of the church, was brought near by Christ to God himself so that he could really know God. We are brought near through the blood of Christ. And then he brings us peace. Look at verse 17. He says, He came and preached peace to you who are away and peace to you who were near. Peace to both. The Jewish people were near God in one sense. Christ preached peace to them. The Gentiles were far away in one sense. He preached peace to them. Jesus brings us peace. The Scripture says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus gives us peace with God, and when we get that peace with God, then we have peace with ourselves. We begin to be able to live life differently. A young woman I know called me recently. I've, I've known her for a, a long time. She's had a rough life. In her late teens, she had a, a child out of wedlock. Several years later, she buried the child's husband. But that didn't work out because he was too interested in having babies with other women. She had a car wreck. Her house was broken into. It was just one thing after another with her. But when she called recently, she said, you know, that I knew her background. She had, she had accepted Christ and waited a long, long time to be baptized. She didn't want to make it public that she had accepted him. Uh, but finally she had accepted Christ and been baptized, but still she had a long way to go. And finally she put herself in a place where she could begin to receive God's peace. She began to read the Bible, especially the Psalms, read the Proverbs, looking for that peace, began to pray more, began to associate with other Christians more. She put herself in the place and God was able to pour His peace into her life. She said, I just wanted you to know that finally I'm at peace that God feels near, He feels close, and I'm at peace. Jesus came and preached peace to those who were far away, as well as to us who were near. And when He preaches peace, we have peace with Him, we have peace within, and we have peace with one another. It begins to change us, so we have peace with one another. Paul wrote to the Galatians and said, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, Think about what he was saying. Think about the hostility that had been there. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. He makes peace in the church. He brings peace among his own people. And it doesn't matter what our racial background is. It doesn't matter what our social class is. It doesn't matter what our sex is. He brings us together and establishes us in peace. He brings us near through His blood. He brings us peace. And He gives us access to God. Look at verse 18. For through Him, we both, Jew and Gentile, have access to the Father by one Spirit access to the Father. We can come into the Father's presence. We can come to where He really is. 
You look over at chapter 3, verse 12. Scripture says, In Him and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Have you ever thought about it? You, as a mere human being, through Jesus, could come into the very presence of the King of the universe, as the eternal Creator, as the one who always has been and always will be. You can come to Him. Hebrews explains it well. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Listen to what he says. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Whenever you have a time of need, you can come before God and find that grace to help you. So, with that background in mind, what Paul was saying, now let's look at the verses that he's going to use to talk really about what we are as a church, what God's plan is for us as a church, what God's purpose is for us as a church. Ephesians 2, beginning with verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Notice what the Scripture is saying to us here. The church is a group of fellow citizens. A group of fellow citizens. It says you're no longer foreign, foreigners. You're no longer aliens. You're a fellow citizen. Big debate going on in our country right now. Bills being thought about in Washington. What do we do with illegal aliens? What, what happens with them? What, what, is there going to be a pathway to citizenship for them? And if so, what will it be like while they're walking that pathway? A lot of questions, you know, it's hard to know what to do. But in the spiritual realm, no matter how far away you are, you can immediately be brought near to God. You can become part of God's kingdom. You can become a citizen in the kingdom of God with all of its rights, all of its privileges, all of its responsibilities. Immediately, you can be made a citizen. So you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people. We, we're part of the same nation in this church. And that nation is the kingdom of God. And we're, we're in it together. We are fellow citizens and we pull for one another and stand for one another and believe the same things together. And then notice as he says that we are part of God's household. Wow. Part of God's household. Now, if you look back up at verse 18, notice that he made reference to the Father. And I bet you know the Lord's Prayer. How does it begin? Our Father. You, know, you ever thought about it? It doesn't say, my Father. Jesus didn't teach us to pray, my Father. 
Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father. If we're a believer, He's the Father of us. We've been born again, and God is our Heavenly Father, and that means we're family. Church is family. You know, we belong to the same family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We sang about it in that hymn one. You know, brothers and sisters, part of the same family. And that's a blessing. You ever thought about how much of a blessing it is to be part of the family of God? Back in 1997, my wife had cancer. The cancer had spread and gotten into her lip nose. So she had to have the same standard treatment she normally would have had, and then she had to have a stem cell transplant. She was five and a half weeks in the hospital having that stem cell transplant. Wiped out her immune system most of that time when she was in isolation. She ate just about absolutely nothing for those five and a half weeks. It was a struggle. During that time, we got cards. People couldn't come and visit, but we got cards. We knew that our church family were praying for us. After she got out of the hospital, she had to have radiation treatments. Church members would come and take her for a radiation treatment, but they didn't have them in Newberry then. They do now, so she had to come to Columbia, and so church family would, would bring her down to Columbia for her treatments. They would bring in food. Because her immune system was compromised and because she was still so weak, she couldn't come to church for a while after she got home. And she would sit in front of the TV on Sunday morning and watch the worship services while we were having service at church. And she would sing along from the, with the hymns. And she's told me that as she would sing, tears would stream down her cheeks because she couldn't be with her church family and worship God together with her family. Family is important. Church family is important. We care for one another. We pray for one another. And we worship together. And we serve God together. We are a part of a family members of God's household. And then, we're the temple of God. We're the temple of God. You know, notice that it says Christ Jesus is the cornerstone. He's, he's the chief stone, the stone that gives this building the whole shape, the stone that carries most of the weight. He's the cornerstone, but, you know, we're the rest of the stones that build the building. You know, you ask most people, what's a church? And they're going to talk about a building. You, you remember when you were a child? You, do, you used to do something like, here's the church, and here's the steeple. Open the door, and there's all the people. Well, you know what? That ain't right. Here's the church. The church is people. You're the church. We, the church uses a building. The church has an organization. But the church is you. You're the church. You're the stones in the church. You're the building blocks of the church. You know, God builds the church out of individuals. Mankind builds fantastic buildings. You know, 
Mankind can build the pyramids. Mankind can build the Parthenon. Mankind today builds skyscrapers that go up more than a quarter of a mile into the sky. But God builds the church out of people. And the most magnificent cathedral doesn't compare at all to a group of believers who come together, realize that they are sinners, saved by the grace of God, worship God together, praise God together, serve God together, and love one another. That's a magnificent building. And that's what God is reminding us of. We're joined together, rise up to become a holy temple. Scripture reminds us of this over and over. 1 Corinthians says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? He's not just within us. He's among us. Simon Peter said, As you come to Him, the living stone, talking about Christ, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are built into a spiritual house. And we come together when it says that you are being built into a holy temple in the Lord. You know, in your church building, you don't want shoddy workmanship. You don't want second-rate materials. So remember, you're being built into the church so that you can be a holy temple for God. Our lives should not only reflect the love of God, but the holiness of God. He puts us together to be the church. Now, if you're a believer, if you're a member of the church, then what's your role? in God's temple, the church. What's your role in this church? Just think a little bit. Like the Ephesians needed to do, remember your condition before you were saved. You might need to remember that you were, like he talked about here, you were separate from Christ. You were not a citizen. You were a foreigner to the covenant. You didn't have any hope. You didn't have God. And it's good to remember that now things have changed. Once you were far away, now you have been brought near. And it's just good to remember how God has done for you, isn't it? Remember what it was and what it is now. Then become a part of the building. In other words, join and be a part. Be a real part. You know, some people today are suspicious of, of the church. You know, they, they don't want to have anything to do with the church. So some people uh, don't want to have a part of any formal organization. They just want to live their lives on their own. Some people say, well, I can worship better, God better by myself. Well, you can worship God by yourself, but you need to worship with God too. Scripture reminds us of that over and over. We come together to praise God. You know, we need to get away from the idea that when God saves us, we're just a saved individual and that's it. He didn't save us to be a stone lying around out haphazardly in a field. He saved us to pull us together and make us into a holy temple for His glory and for His purposes. So we're to find a part in that. So, so we attend, we get to know one another, 
We, we share with one another. We participate in each other's joy. We support each other when we're going through difficulties. We become that family so that we're built together. Then use your access to God. You have access to, to God through Christ. Use it. Pray. You know, take your sorrows to God. Take your troubles to Him. Take your loneliness to Him. Take, take your need for strength over temptation. Take your need for power to be able to serve Him and to witness to Him. Take anything to Him. Scripture says, cast all your anxieties upon Him because He cares for you. You're going to the throat of grace. Use your access to the eternal God. Then put aside any hostility or prejudice you may have against each other. You know, we live together in a church family, and every day and then, one of us rubs another one the wrong way. You know, that's just human. You know, sometimes, you know, we don't always agree with, you know, everything that's going on. Somebody, sometimes somebody hurts our feelings. So, so you, you, know, you know what you hear sometimes? You know, I've heard it as a pastor <laughs> from, from people in the church that get disgruntled about something that say, those people down at the church, those people, huh, our family gives a whole different connotation, doesn't it? Uh, so, what you do? Paul told us what to do. Chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. And listen to the last part of this. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. Ain't none of us perfect. Pardon the English. But we ain't. We forgive one another because that's how we get along and have that unity God wants us to have. Be willing to sacrifice getting your own way so as to maintain the church's harmony and effectiveness. What's best for the church? What's God's will? Not what I want. Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross for us. Jesus died for the church. Sometimes we have to sacrifice just to keep the church being what it needs to be. And then bring others near. Bring others near. That's how people come into the fellowship. They're far off. They don't understand the promises. They don't understand the goodness of God. They don't understand the power and the blood of Christ. Somebody's got to go out and reach out to them and bring them near. Back in 1978, Hubert Humphrey died. Hubert Humphrey had been a senator for many, many years. He had been vice president under Lyndon Johnson. And when he passed away, a memorial service was held for him in the rotunda of the Capitol building. One of the individuals who came, now remember this is 1978, one of the individuals who came was Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon had resigned from the presidency in 1974 and he was at no man's land. And when he came, he sat down. He was over there by himself. Nobody knew what to do. You know, do we, do we dare talk to him? You know, what, what is he like now? Then President Jimmy Carter came in, saw Nixon, went over and shook his hand, and welcomed him back to Washington. 
And a news magazine said that was the end, that was at least the beginning of the end of, Wil of Nixon's long walk in the wilderness. Helped to bring him back into fellowship with those he had worked with before. And see, that's what it takes from us to bring people into the church. We have to reach out to those that even others may be suspicious of, even though they're far away, and bring them near, because that's what Jesus wants. And then when those are brought near to accept Christ, accept them as part of the family. Realize that they may be a babe in Christ. You know, they still may make some messes but you're willing to accept them and to help them to grow, you're going to disciple them. What does God want from us as His church? He wants us to realize that we're fellow citizens. We have allegiance to the same God and the same Savior. He wants us to realize that we are part of His family, that we're His children, and that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And he wants us to realize that he's putting us together as individual human beings to build a temple for his praise, his glory, and his purpose here on earth. You probably heard the old story. Workers out working on a construction project. Somebody went up to one and said, what are you doing? He said, can't you tell? I'm laying block. Went to somebody else and said, what are you doing? He said, I'm building a building. Went to the third man. He said, what are you doing? He said, I'm constructing a temple for the glory of God. That's what we should be doing. Constructing a temple for the glory of God. Now let me ask you a question. Are you far off? Or have you been brought near? Maybe if you're far off, you feel the tugging of the Holy Spirit at your heart to bring you near, to bring you close to God, to bring you under the saving blood of Jesus Christ, to bring you into the family of the church. And today you would like to say, I want to be brought near. I want to have that peace that only Jesus could give. I want to have a hope that's sure and secure in Him. I want Jesus, and you'll be brought near to Christ today. The, the Spirit's trying to draw you to come near. Won't you come near today? Maybe you've recently asked Jesus to be your Savior, and you would like to make a public profession of faith today and request baptism in this church. Maybe you've already been brought near, and you need to rededicate yourself to helping the church be built to helping this church be built into a glorious temple for the glory and the purpose of God. How will you respond today? Listen to God. Hear His call. Understand His desire to draw you near and make you a part. Respond as we sing our invitation hymn.